Matthew chapter 5, starting in verse 21. We all there? Yeah, it looks like it. All right, go ahead and look down. Read with me. You have heard that it was said to those of old, you shall not murder, and whoever murders will be liable to judgment. But I say to you that everyone who is angry with his brother will be liable to judgment. Whoever insults his brother will be liable to the council, and whoever says, you fool, will be liable to the hell of fire. So if you're offering your gift at the altar and there remember that your brother has something against you, leave your gift before the altar and go. First be reconciled to your brother and then come and offer your gift. Come to terms quickly with your accuser while you're going with him to court, lest your accuser hand you over to the judge and the judge to the guard and you will be put in prison. Truly I say to you, you will never get out until you have paid the last penny. That is our passage for today. Let's go ahead and pray for our time here in the Word. Oh God, our Father, we are so grateful for the revelation of your Word. God, that that you would make yourself known, make your character known through both the words of the Old Testament and the New Testament, God. We are thankful that you preserve your gospel in it, that the good news of how we come to know you. And God, I pray that as we look into this section of your great sermon on the mount, um, God, I pray that you would shake us out of our comfort with our sin. God, that we would not be okay with where we're at. And that, God, you would show us that in you we can be given and grow into a righteousness that exceeds even that of the scribes and Pharisees. That is our prayer. That is our hope for tonight. Thank you, Jesus, that by you that is possible. It's in your name we pray. Amen. I know some of you are the youngest. Who here is the youngest sibling in their family? No? Okay. Oh, oh, yeah, I guess kind You were for a little bit. All right, I am the youngest, right? I have two older siblings, my sister and my brother. And you have, you're the youngest? Oh, ask, are they annoying? Oh, no, it's the other way around, trust me. I was the annoying one. <laughs> I, I don't know if it's some God-given talent or if it's a result of the fall or whatever, but it seems like youngest children, and maybe this is just personal experience, but youngest children just know how to push all the right buttons, Mm -hmm. right? Like, Mm -hmm. yeah, all you older siblings are like, amen, right? And and that that was me. That was me to my sister in particular. My brother is 10 years older than me, so he was off to college before I really got annoying. Um, (laughs) But my sister would get irritated with me, and there was this one instance where uh, I had irritated her, mimicked her. I was copying exactly what she would say right back to her, like a little parrot. And she would say, stop it, Blake. And I'd be like, stop it, Blake. <laughs> you know, the whole, the whole thing. So and yeah, it is. I know. I feel bad now. <laughs> but she eventually got so mad, she raised her voice at me and got in trouble with my parents. Exactly. Yeah. Always get in trouble for the... And so... She's going, she's talking to my mom and she says, 
It's not my fault. Blake just knows how to push all my buttons. Exactly. Right? And, and it's a funny phrase, right? To push all my buttons. And, and this is really how our culture, how we as, as people living in America, think of anger, right? We think of anger as not that bad. Anger really isn't, isn't a big issue. And I think that the phrases we use to describe it show that. We say things like, you're pushing my buttons. Like, the anger is, is what you're doing to me. You're, you're forcing it out of me. Or we'll say, I'm just blowing off steam, right? Who here has said that? I've said that. I need to blow off some steam. And that, that's like saying, like, you know, old train engines? They would have ste- steam engines. The engine would get so pressurized that they would have to let loose the, the steam inside of it or else it would explode. So we talk about anger. Shh, listen, listen. We talk about anger like it's this thing that we must do in order so that we don't explode. It's this natural and healthy thing. Or my personal favorite, because I don't really understand it, I lost my temper. I had a temper. I lost it. <laughs> I don't really know what that means, but it still, it implies, right? Even in that phrase, it implies that, you know, uh, it, it's not really mine to own. It's just something I lost, you know? <laughs> right? Like, it's weird. Pushing our buttons, venting, or, or letting off steam, or, or I lost my temper. All these are ways in which we view anger as not all that bad. And yet, we get to this passage here tonight, and Jesus radically turns that idea on its head. He, he ties anger to the sixth commandment in the Old Testament saying, thou shalt not murder. And he ties those two together. And so that's what we are looking at tonight. I want, if there's one point you guys get across, please remember, unrighteous anger causes us to murder. Unrighteous anger causes us to murder. And and we're going to see three different ways which we so often break that sixth commandment. We so often fall into murder. Because we often think, ah, you know, it's one of those commandments where it's, it's not what I struggle with, you know. I've never gone to jail for murdering, therefore I haven't broken the sixth commandment. But Jesus here in, in these next few verses shows us, hey, listen, you are guilty of murder. All right, so what am I getting at? Let's look down. Right at the text, verse 21, read it with me. You have heard that it was said to those of old, you shall not murder, and whoever murders will be liable to judgment. Right there, he's quoting the Old Testament, Exodus, the giving of the law, the Ten Commandments. But then he goes on, verse 22. But I say to you that everyone who is angry with his brother will be liable to judgment. It's the same thing. Jesus is saying, don't feel so good because you haven't murdered anybody. Your anger 
is murder. And that is our first point. Our anger is murder. Now, I, I just want to say a quick note so we are clear. Jesus is saying he's not trying to correct the Old Testament. He's not trying to say, ah, oh, the Old Testament is wrong. It needs to be updated, right? In fact, just in the last section, he says, do not think that I have come to abolish the law or the prophets. That's, that's the summary for the Old Testament. I have not come to abolish them, but to fulfill them. And so in Jesus, the fulfillment of the law, thou shalt not kill, comes in, you shall not be angry. Jesus here is equating the part position of anger to that of murder. And that's something that as we keep going, because there's a lot more of these laws that Jesus expounds upon, we will be seeing that God's law is a spiritual law. Right? What do I mean by that? God's law is a spiritual law. God is not just concerned. Listen, middle schoolers, this is, if you could learn this young, I would be so happy, so amazed at what God can do. God's law is not just there so that you are the good little Christian kid. All right? I thought that for the longest time growing up in church. God's law is not just there so you do all the right things. God's law is there to shape your heart, to, to shape the desires that you have and point them to him. God's law is concerned with the heart. Let me give you a little illustration to get this across. Get, get, so we know like, okay, anger is murder. Understand that. But it doesn't always come across as that. It doesn't seem like it. So there's a, a time where I got mad. I'm talking about mad explosion, boiled up over the top, whatever polite euphemism you want to use for anger. I, I lost my temper, right? And I just punched the door frame and I yelled out at my siblings, I wish you were gone. I wish you were gone. Right? And, and it's goofy now. It's funny. I, I, I don't yell that anymore when I get angry. I wish you were gone. But here's, here's the sad truth and the reality is when we are angry, we are saying that. You know, when I, when I said, I wish you were gone, in that moment, I wish that those people, my brother and sister, whom God had created in his own image, would be wiped off the face of the earth, would be just gone. In that moment of anger, listen, in that moment of anger, I murdered them in my heart. I, I wished for their disappearance. Our anger makes us murderers. And so I wonder, do you get angry? Do you have siblings that you have maybe even said those very words to? Or thought something similar? Have you ever responded to your parents, I wish I had any other parents but you? 
Have you ever said to your parents, you are the worst. I hate you right now. We are far more guilty of the sixth commandment, I think, than we often recognize. You middle schoolers commit murder in your anger. And so Jesus is saying to us, to you and to me, don't feel so good. Don't feel so good about that sixth commandment. You are not so innocent as you think. But Jesus raises the stakes. Ready? And here's our second point. Your contempt is murder. Your contempt is murder. This is in the second half of verse 22. All right, so look down, point at verse 22 for me, if you would. And then you say, it says, But I will say to you that everyone who is angry with his brother will be liable to judgment. All right, that was our first point. And here's our second. Whoever insults his brother will be liable to the council, and whoever says, you fool, will be liable to the fire of hell. Jesus is once again hammering at our comfort with our sin. Right? He's saying, no, you're not okay. Your, your, your moral standing is not good enough. And, and to be honest, reading this growing up, I thought this was a little extreme. Right? Like, okay, anger, I understand. There's a connection from anger to murder that, that I can understand the drawing between, right? But insults? Like, calling someone you fool? Like, I just said you fool. Does that make me liable to the fire of hell? And, and it seems just like far too hard of a stance. In fact, Jesus himself even calls the Pharisees fools in Matthew 23, 17, where he says, talking to the Pharisees, you blind fools. Same exact word. You blind fools. So what is going on? What is Jesus saying? When Jesus says, you blind fools to the Pharisees, he is Exhibiting a righteous anger. There is such a thing as righteous anger. So there's a a difference, right? We have the contempt, which is calling someone insults or you fool. But then Jesus has displayed to us in the Gospels righteous anger. Righteous anger is an anger that displays the Gospel. It's an anger that's not motivated by our our own personal insult or circumstances, but motivated, but aimed at sin. So just as a quick, easy test for for you middle schoolers and high schooler, um, how do we know? How do we know when it's righteous or unrighteous anger, right? Maybe I have two questions you could possibly ask. Two questions to to determine, is my anger righteous? First, does my anger give glory to Christ and his gospel? Right, that seems a little weird. So, does my anger give glory to Christ and his gospel? 
when I am angry, when I am upset with my sin, when I am upset with the sin that I see in the world, when I hear of how many abortions have happened in the last year, I am angry. But that anger shows God's value for life. That anger shows God's hatred towards sin. And so it gives glory to him and his gospel. But secondly, I'd say the second question to ask yourself is, does my anger, is my anger accompanied by mourning? Is my anger accompanied by mourning? What do I mean by that? Yes, I'm angry at my sin. Yes, I'm angry at the the people who would commit, who, who would abort babies. But I am sad. I'm sad that such a, a sin against our, our God would exist. For To use Jesus' example, right after he calls the Pharisees, you fool, he laments over the sins of Israel. And so that is what righteous anger looks like. But what Jesus is talking about in our passage here tonight is not that. In fact, it's the opposite. And to get that across, we've got to look at a couple of words. So stick with me here. Who, who likes knowing foreign languages, huh? Yeah? Got to learn some. We're going to learn a language. Not learn a language. We're going to learn one word. Uh, the word is raka. Raka. R-A-C-A. And it doesn't really have a... a good translation, easy translation to the English. Um, And it gets translated here as insult in my Bible, in the ESV. But here, here, let me read you a, a basic definition. Raka is a term of malicious abuse, derision, and slander. It has been variously rendered as brainless, idiot, Worthless fellow, silly fool, empty-headed, blockhead, and the like. Right? Ouch. Please don't ever call me Raka. <laughs> and here's the, the final idea behind the world of Raka. It is a word. It is a word of arrogant contempt. What does that mean? It is a word that says, I am smarter than you. It's, it's when you think this person, they're such a silly fool. They're, they're so, they're so, they lack so much maturity. They're not smart. They're not as good at this as I am. That is Raka. Right? And what does Jesus say? Whoever insults his brother will be liable to the council. There's punishment. Raka. The second phrase that he gives, though, is you fool. Once again, this is not like how we think of fool. Um, it probably could have been better translated, you godless fool. Um, it, it means, in the original language, to have a lack of moral standing. 
So it's to say, if I was to, to come up to one of you and, and say, you aren't as holy as me, you don't fight your sin as hard as me, you don't know your Bible as well as me, therefore you are less. I am closer to God than you. That, that's what it means when, when it, Jesus says the word you fool in this segment. Right? So it's contempt. Once again, it's thinking you are greater. So Jesus lays out two forms of contempt. One, oh, you're not as smart. You're not as cool. You're not as good. Right? Maybe we think that at school. And, and there's this temptation to, to be the popular, to be the, the top person, you know? To, to say, ah, oh, I'm the best and everybody else has to be less than me. Or maybe we even bring our contempt to church and we call everyone else, you fool, because we get all the answers right. We are the first to respond to the youth pastor's questions. Do we see how that is putting ourselves above? We're saying, I'm better. I'm closer to God because of this. We, myself included, struggle with contempt. It is rarely in the words we say, but it is often in the way we think. And what does Jesus say that does contempt? Liable to the council, right? And then in the later half, liable to the hell of fire. The hell of fire, literally Gehenna, the, this place where they would dump trash and, and bodies of criminals to be burned. Jesus is, is here saying, guys, listen, our anger... Right? When we snap, when we say, I wish you were gone, that's murder. That's murder. And he's also saying, when we think down upon those, when we have contempt towards those around us, that is also murder. We are more guilty of the sixth commandment than we think. And so Jesus begins to apply, right? He says, what must we do? In verses 23 through 26, he says, we must seek reconciliation. This is our third point. We must seek reconciliation with urgency. We must seek reconciliation. All right, let's look down. Verse 23. So if you are offering your gift at the altar and there remember that your brother has something against you, Leave your gift there before the altar and go. First be reconciled to your brother, then come and offer your gift. So this is our first example that Jesus gives. Reconciliation. Big word, right? Literally, to reconcile is to make two things that don't fit together right now fit together, right? My arms are not reconciled. They have become reconciled. What does that that mean for us? Reconciliation is, is when there's tension. Things are off, right, between people. So say, I did something to Micah last week. I hit him in the face with the, the four-square ball. Ouch. 
We are off, right? He's upset. He has cause to be angry with me. And the story that Jesus gives says, if I was to come here to church, ready to worship, and remember that last week I hit Micah in the face, that, that I have given him a cause to be angry with me, before I, I continue anything with church, I, I go to him. I say, Micah, I remember that I did this, and I never apologize. I am so sorry. How can I make it right? How can I reconcile this? Jesus says to leave the gift at the altar and go. Here's the essence of the reconciliation that Jesus is getting at. God delights more in the obedience of his people than all the worship services the world over, right? God doesn't want you to come here and and sing these songs and and listen and take notes and then never do anything to obey him. In fact, in in 1 Samuel 15, 22, it, it says, Has the Lord as much delight in burnt offerings and sacrifices as in obeying the voice of the Lord? Behold, to obey is better than sacrifice. Obedience. We are called to obedience before we are called to worship. Yes, we are called to worship. Guys, but when we come to this room, we are called to reconcile, to make things right with each other, with the church as a whole, with our families. And so I have to wonder what a group would look like. That, that reconciled, that made things right, that, that put an emphasis on that so that before they even wish to, to continue coming to youth group, they, they first seek out reconciliation. That means before you even wait a week to see them again on, on Wednesday, you seek them out at school or you, you seek to apologize. What would that look like? That looks like going to your parents first to confess your own sin towards them. That's seeking reconciliation. This is what true worship is, guys. This is, yes, true worship comes and it flows out in our songs. It flows out when we listen to the word. But it is happening all week long and it is obedience to the word of God. Reconciliation, making things right, is required for worship because it is in the law of God. But Jesus also points out that there's urgency, right? In, In that second story, verse 25, come to terms quickly with your accuser. Let's see, hand you over to the judge and the judge to the guard. You will be put in prison. Truly, I say to you, you will never get out until you have paid the last penny. There's a sense of urgency to reconciliation that one day things will no longer be able to be reconciled. Do you come to terms quickly 
with your accuser? Do you come to terms quickly with your family, with your brothers and sisters, with your parents? See, this is a command that God gives. When he says, do not murder, he's saying, yes, don't commit the actual act of violence towards another person. He's saying, yes, don't commit. Don't be angry towards your brothers and sisters. Don't have contempt. But he's also saying in that same command, do reconcile. In fact, he even said earlier in Matthew 5, blessed are the peacemakers, verse 9, for they shall be called sons of God. Peacemakers, reconcilers. So, guys, we are to to be peacemakers. We are to apologize first with urgency. To go up to our parents before they have to come to us. To, To be actively considering what you might have done against your brothers and sisters in Christ or brothers and sisters by blood. That is the reconciliation that God commands. That is the true worship that God commands of us. Now, there is a sense where, okay, that is a good wrap-up conclusion point, right? It's like, okay, there's the three points. They made a full circle. But I would be sorely lacking, this sermon would be sorely lacking if it ended here. Because I hope that you are, are starting to recognize that, yes, I struggle with the sixth commandment. That, yes, I, I am angry. Yes, I, I murder in my heart. I have contempt in my heart. And I don't reconcile as often as I should. But if I end now, you'll go out. And what will you do? You will try very hard to not be angry. You will try very hard to not hold contempt. You will try very hard to start to reconcile with each other quickly and with urgency. And maybe you'll do well for a week if you're lucky. But you will fail. You will get angry. You will hold contempt. You will not reconcile. And you'll, you'll say to yourself, I got to do better. And so you try harder and you'll fail harder. Trust me. That is the way works get us. That that is all that happens when we just try harder. And so I would like to take this from just purely horizontal, right? Horizon between all of us here and, and point us vertical for a minute. Because perhaps you have reached this point and said, okay, I, I know I get angry, sure. It happens, but not all that much, right? I, I'm a pretty jolly guy or, ga- or gal. I, I, I get angry at my siblings, but they deserve it, so they should apologize to me. I, uh, maybe you're saying to yourself, I, I, I don't really hold contempt. I think pretty good of most of everyone, really. Or maybe you're saying, hmm, I can't really identify anyone I need to reconcile. I can't identify anyone I've wronged or sinned against. 
Well, let me do that for you. Let me identify someone that you have wronged and sinned against. Ready? You and I have murdered the God of the universe in our hearts. You have dealt contemptuously with God's word and slandered his character by your own words and your deeds. You have murdered God in your heart. And without Christ, your need for reconciliation is so great that indeed you will never get out of the prison talked about in verse 26. So yes, we should not feel good about the sixth commandment. We should not feel good that we, we don't actually murder anyone because we do and we have in our hearts. There's a quote that said, we do not recognize the, the danger of, of harsh words because we do not see the bodies in their wake. You recognize that. We are guilty of the sixth commandment. We are guilty of murder. And yet, savor that, savor that, and yet, and yet, Jesus offers deliverance. Despite that, and yet, Jesus offers his own perfect righteousness, and yet, we can be one with Christ, with God through Christ. See, in Jesus, guys, when you have a relationship with Jesus, the, the law, the, the idea of thou shalt not murder transforms from just, okay, I won't kill anybody. It transforms from this outward obedience that I, I just got to do it. I just got to do it. And it becomes this joy to say, I don't want to be angry. I don't need to be angry. But I have Christ. Only the gospel, only the gospel can set you free from your sin of anger, from your sin of murder in your heart. It is in Christ that we learn to reconcile. It is in Christ that we become people who can be peacemakers. And so, yes, middle schoolers, stop feeling so good about the Sixth Commandment. But start delighting in Christ. In Christ, we have become, we have been transformed from murderers to peacemakers to sons and daughters of God. Let us pray on that. Oh God, I pray that we would recognize the, the delights of the gospel, how good and, and tasteful and, and precious it is that you would send your own son as a, as a sacrifice, as a substitute for us, though we deserve to die on the cross, God, Jesus died there in our stead. And now, and now, with his raising to new life, God, we can have a new 
life, that in the Spirit we can fight our sin and have victory over sin. And so, God, I ask for help in our fight against the sin of anger, that we would be people who make peace. And thank you, Jesus, that in you we have peace with God. It's in your name we pray. Amen.